it's only tobacco anyways or nicotine so yeah you know i mean if you're you know you take take a hit of uh nicotine on camera i mean as a as a libertarian or uh or better yet as an anarchist unless you are you know letting your eight-year-old um you know son snort coke and drive a privately owned tank you, you ever heard that joke that's like oh you anarchist you want a world where like eight-year-old drug dealers are driving, you know, naked in public in a privately owned tank, like in the middle of a public park. And the anarchist says, how dare you misrepresent me? I would never support public parks. (laughs) Exactly right. Clint from Liberty Lockdown. Dude, first, let me just say congratulations to you. You have been rocking your podcast for only a little over a year. So it's about exactly 13 months from what I looked at your, uh, your back catalog. And you have just crossed 100 episodes, and that's why we're talking today. So first, congratulations, man. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, it has been a wild ride, one that I never expected, um, particularly at this pace. So it's just, I don't know. I'm as, I'm as stunned as anybody. Everyone's like, what? why is this guy getting all this shine? I don't know either, okay? So, <laughs> Well, maybe, <laughs> we, gonna, can, maybe gonna... we can discover some of those. You know, it's funny in the, in the world of startups, there's this idea of product market fit where like whatever your product is and whoever the market is, once you have that fit, you know, people sort of say, you know it when you have it because your customers are pulling the product out of you basically. Mm. And, and you saying, I have no idea how we've done a hundred episodes in a year and how this is it. It feels like you have product market fit. Like podcasts are literally being pulled out of you. You're not desperately trying to push this out to the world. It's just like it's clicking. You have found something that is resonating. Yeah. No, I think I think that was that's really the truth of it is that all I did was identify a void and then I had a unique skill set that enabled me to fill it better than most. Um and then What's there's the a whole void? bunch of uh well the void the void to me was that there was no one that I, I don't believe that there's anyone in the libertarian podcast space that um, has been quite as successful in this particular field of business as I have. Um, but then there was also a void in terms of pushback against the lockdowns. So pairing it as an entrepreneur that has enough success that they can make this their full-time job to just scream into a microphone, how much they hate the lockdowns. I think that that was a void that was needed to be filled in um, just due to circumstance and, um, and an ability to jump into that void very aggressively. I think that's all there was to it. It was kind of a blue water situation. Well, I mean, that's how I found you was probably how a ton of people found you when all, when the lockdowns hit and it was like in, a, in just an instant. And we talked about this the first time we, I interviewed you like almost overnight, the entire country, in fact, the entire world was basically like a prison, like a, like a literal prison. You were, it was illegal to like leave your home in many cases. And the number of people publicly objecting to this was like, even among so-called libertarians. And we talked about this last time too. And when I came on your show, I ranted at length about sort of professional uh, think tanks and stuff that call themselves libertarians being silent. So what happened was a lot of people were like, just desperately, anytime somebody retweeted someone openly saying something. And I kept seeing people retweet clips or retweet tweets from something called Liberty Lockdown. I didn't know if Liberty Lockdown was a person, was an organization, was a blog, was a, but the fact that Liberty Lockdown, it's like right in the name is like lockdown. 
and you're saying radical stuff, it's like, follow. I just, right. I'm so hungry for anyone who's willing to speak out against this. Like, and, and just the timing I think is, is, is really cool. So, um, no, I, I totally agree awesome. with you. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, basically I created what I wanted to see in the world. I was like, I wish that there was more people out Ooh. there that were screaming about the lockdowns and the fact that our Liberty has been taken away and the name was available. There was not even a podcast named Liberty lockdown, which I found amazing. Um, so, when, and I mean, when you said I created what I wanted to see in the world, I literally got chills. I was about to do like, like I grew up in church, you know, like the charismatic church when people say something like that, you're like, ee, ba 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 ba. People start, you know, mumbling and, hey, man, brother, you gave, me, you gave me the holy chills there. Oh, I, love I mean, it. that's it, creating what you want to see in the world. Well, well, speaking of creating, so look, you know, I've been hammering on for years through, through, you know, my various companies and stuff like that, like, especially with young people to create. So I've, you know, a daily blogging challenge I've done myself and challenge many people to it or start a podcast or just start learning out loud, just creating mm -hmm. rather than just consuming. And here's what you typically get. You see people all the time and what they go out and they tweet or they post Facebook. Hey, everybody. Hey, fam. I'm thinking about starting a podcast. I'm thinking about starting a blog. What do you think? You know, like basically, will you give me some strokes? Will you give me a, will you give me cheap and easy prey? It's like, Hey, I'm thinking about starting a business. Should I, of course, all your friends are going to be like, Oh yeah, buddy, go ahead. And everybody gets stuck in that spot. We're like, okay, I finally got the concept ready. What should it be about? How long should episodes be? Which platform do you post? What kind of microphone do you use? And everybody's like, it's, and I'm, I'm not saying this to be like rude. Cause we've all been there. You get stuck in like preparation mode. You're scared. You want it to be perfect. You're trying you just did it. You just went out and right. did it. You created it. And then you kept doing it and you just mm -hmm. keep cranking them out. And like nothing, nothing makes hones your show better than just getting reps under your belt instead of thinking about how it could be perfect. So like, that's really impressive to me that you've just done that. And I want to, and I want to, that's a huge setup. And I know I've, I've talked too much already, but I want to ask you, did you go in with what the podcast is today? Did you go in a year ago trying to create that? Or did you just go and say, I want to start putting out podcasts and let's see what happens? Well, I mean, I, I think that early on, my entire goal was just to rail against the lockdown. So I spent a lot of time on PCR tests and, um, you know, whether or not the lockdowns were necessary. I basically, I was kind of like the Tom Woods show in, in terms of analyzing data and, and charts and stuff like that. And, and trying to get people to understand that there was a whole world of information that they were probably not aware of, even though most of my listeners were aware. Um, but I just wanted to kind of reinforce the fact that like, hey, here's a place that you can just send this podcast to your friend who's horrified about COVID and they can listen to it and you can calm them down or you can make them very angry about what's happening. So <laughs> it, it goes both ways. Um, but yeah, I, I did not, I really... Early on, my entire vision for it was simply just to scream about the lockdowns and to try and give people a home for that. Um, and then it evolved into, you know, because I naturally I'm going to start to talk about myself a little bit more and, and people start to ask me more and more questions about like, how are you doing this? And how do you have all this free time? And, and then I start talking about my business experience and then they, they start asking me more questions about that and they start asking me about investment advice and um, I think I think really my show has developed by meeting listener needs. Um, I, I really just allowed them to pepper me with questions. 
And, and very early on for the first four or five months, I would just at, like at the end of every show, I would just say, DM me with your investment questions and I will, a I will answer. And, you know, for someone who's managed hundreds of millions of dollars to do that for free is a pretty good offer. And, you know, very few people took me up on it to be blunt. Um, but those that did were very appreciative and, and well, unfortunately libertarians don't have any assets to invest, right? Aren't they living in their mom's basement for the most part? Well, <laughs> I, I hope not all of them, but yes, you're probably I'm kidding. Right I'm kidding. I'm poking fun. Cause you know, I know, I, I know. Um, I look like I'm recording in my mom's basement, so it's all good. Uh, <laughs> we, we know you're not, we know you're out there swanking it up in California, getting ready to make your exit. Yeah, um, got to. So, so, I love that you just kind of started because you wanted to, to rant. And I think that makes it real. Like a good, a good podcast is always one where it's not affected, you know, where it's, it's not um, where the host isn't trying to angle to get a particular audience to, to, to respond in a particular way, but mm -hmm. it's like, it's done. So I always say this about like blogging as well. Like the best is, is done selfishly. Like you're doing it for you. There were no audience. Uh you would feel better having recorded that episode than if you didn't record it. It's a, it's, it's a so therapy. true. And it's I think so that's true. why it's I, so good. I've described it. I've described it that way many times is that if, if not for my ability to scream into a microphone a couple times a week during the first three or four months of lockdown, I think I would have gone insane. So it was pure therapy and, you know, self-care <laughs> to, yeah. to do this show. And the fact that it found any audience whatsoever was just a, a you know, a bonus um, but I think what what was really reinforcing what kept me doing it is that I kept getting people saying that to me, that your show is therapy to me because it's making me feel sane. And I was yes. like, well, you saying that to me makes me feel sane. So like we are we are picking each other up. And I, I always describe it that way is like me, me and my audience are benefiting mutually from this experience. Mm -hmm. And and I believe that. Um, and I think that that's part of the success as well, is that I think that the audience feels that way, too, is like. grateful for everything that's occurring. I mean, it's not like I'm making millions of dollars from this. I'm hardly making any money at all, but it's just that it's just that um the the community, the connection that I've gotten, you know, that's what I really value here. Oh, did I lose you? No, you're still there. Your your video just froze for a second, but we still okay. we still got your uh, your audio. Um you know, there's this idea like preaching to the choir, like that's a bad thing. And I I always felt like the choir is the only audience worth preaching to, right? Like the people who came to hear us or who voluntarily wanted to hear a sermon. And so the idea of you're talking about things that, yeah, most of your listeners mostly agree, but they want to one, know that they're not alone and that they're not crazy uh, Two, hear some, be exposed to some new people and some new thinkers that share a lot of similar thoughts, but there's always going to be something different. But then there's always like, who the choir is sort of slowly expands, right? The people kind of hanging around outside of the church, sort of curious, but a little, they're not ready to come in. They start to tune their ear a little bit more and they start to draw in. And I think that idea, and especially people who believe in any kind of minority, you know, ideology, political philosophy, whatever, there's always this group that's like, we must be like preaching to new people that have never heard these things. And so we got to like make the ideas attractive to them by dressing them up and making it look like they're the ideas that they already like. And I just think that's ridiculous. I've always been a big fan of Albert J. Knox essay, um, Isaiah's job, which is about the remnant. And like, that's what it's all about is the remnant. And like the rest kind of happens on its own, right? And like any good product, any good yep. brand, 
They focus on who is that right target market? Where do they have product market fit? And if that market begins to expand, great. But like win your market and like talk to talk to the choir. That's that's awesome. And so anyway, I, I think it's awesome. Like it's more likely that somebody who already agrees with you and gets excited about your episode and gets hyped and encouraged is going to kind of be a brighter light for these ideas um, and therefore attract more people to them than if you're like, okay, my job is to go create a podcast that like secretly, you know, tries to sneak liberty into the minds of people who aren't interested in it or something like that. I, I don't know. What's your take on that? Yeah, well, I get some of my um, newer listeners or even friends of mine that have, that have tuned in that don't know about libertarianism. They constantly ask me for primers. You know, they always say like, hey, could you like you're really flying here. You know, you're not ex you're not explaining anything. I don't understand, <laughs> you know, half of this. And I'm just like, well, um, because I am preaching to the choir, I can't slow down and I can't I can't take the time to give you these primers there. I think that if anything, I hope it inspires you to go and read some of the source material. Check out Rothbard, you know, listen to Tom Woods. He does some more remedial libertarian explanations and things like that. Um, but at this point, you know, first off, it's boring to me to talk about remedial stuff. So like, I'm not going to be able to deliver as good a product if I'm miserable, you know, if I'm just like, okay, I'm going to explain the non-aggression principle and people are like, okay, well that, you know, now all, now all of my diehard, you know, and caps are like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, like, <laughs> this is so boring. Um, so I'm just kind of, I'm just, proceeding ahead and i hope that people kind of catch up it's it's kind of like like do you want to be in on the joke okay well then you better keep tuning in because yep. otherwise you'll 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 get lost so um I, I think like your mom's house is one of my favorite podcasts and they they use it's uh, tom segura and christina pazinski and they they use these clips from psychotic people on the internet and like they'll they'll reference them regularly and if you're a new listener you'll be completely lost but if you listen over time, you're you're in on the joke, and then it feels like a community where you understand the inside jokes and things like that. And and, and to a certain extent, I'm doing that myself. Um, I mean, it's not really intentional so much as this is just my preference. And and to your point about uh, you know finding finding your market, what's really cool about what we are into is that you know you know how people say that entrepreneurs should niche down. Yeah, they should yeah, yeah. they should get a very get a very small audience, but the a passionate one. I didn't have to niche down. I'm already niched down. I believe in, <laughs> <laughs> I believe in anarcho-capitalism. There aren't a lot of us out there. So it, it was, uh, I, think, I think basically like the ideal, ideology itself led to a successful business model in a way. Yeah, you, you put a gun in your podcast's logo and there, you're niched down. <laughs> you know? um, exactly. On, on, like a, on like a personal level, because I know from just the, the steady, consistent creation, I mean, you're doing, you know, you're doing a podcast at least an average of two times a week over the last year. Um, right. How has that transformed you? How, how are you different on a personal level now than you were when you started this, just from the, the routine and the, the discipline of it and everything that you've gone through? Um, I think the, the biggest difference is that, you know, it, I, I've just really changed the the outlet for my passion you know my before so much of who i was was wrapped up in my business um so i guess i guess i haven't changed in that regard but instead of 
pursuing dollars. I'm pursuing ideas. Instead of a money-making business, you got a money-losing But No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, kind of. I, like, comparatively, I feel I feel like I'm losing money here. Yeah, no, it's true. Hey, I, it's, we, you know what? Just... Crash inked that huge sponsorship deal with you. I know what kind of giant bucks you guys are pulling in, so. Hey, <laughs> and by the way, tremendously grateful for that. So I'm not, I am not uh, trying to talk down about my, my blessed sponsors, like, Crash.co backslash daily. Um, There it is. (laughs) uh, But it's, uh, I I think, I think that's the main difference is that, well, and and then also like, I I also spend a lot of time doing, um, you know, Twitter stuff, reading about things that I wouldn't have taken the time to necessarily go as deep as I I used to, or as I could have in the past. So I think that's the other difference. Um, I also feel a greater sense of community with the libertarian movement and the ANCAP community, it's like that I didn't have for sure. I mean, now I know all these people. I, I feel like I know people because I've yeah. had these hour long conversations. Like, I feel like I know you, even though we've talked, you know, three hours or something in our yeah. lives. So um, it's, I think that that's the the evolution in this is that it's just, it's more, it's more of a personal experience. Whereas before I was kind of a, I was a witness to this movement. Now I feel like I'm part of it. So yeah, yeah. Do, okay, so tell me, do you ever feel like, is there a risk of getting too plugged in? So like, you know, when you're creating content on a regular basis, whatever's the hot topic of the day, people don't want to talk about, you know, um, you know, whether it's the basics that have already been covered or things that are more timeless um, over and over again, they want to talk about what's current, what's new. And so you're following Twitter, you're following mainstream news stories, you're following inside baseball infighting stories, you're covering that. Do you ever feel like there's a risk that you get like, too sucked in and you have, I mean, I know like when I stopped reading and following the news, like 15 years ago, like the greatest thing ever for my mental health. (laughs) And you can get, you can, you can engage with it in a way that doesn't drive you crazy, but there's a, there's a way where like, I, I, you know, when I was podcasting regularly, for example, like I would start to feel like I was getting too, too sucked into what's current. And, and I, and I want to like, make sure that I'm anchored to things that are maybe more, um, permanent or enduring or just not get, not get sort of too plugged into the trends. Have you, have you struggled with that at all? Sure. Yeah. I I think it's, it's going to be a natural battle to try and keep some sort of, I think, I think what's, what's good about the way my brain works is that when I read current events, I am always analyzing them in a lens of a more global perspective Mm -hmm. and a more philosophical one. So like, even if I'm talking about current events, I mean, perfect example, you know, I go on Tim Pool, they're asking me about BlackRock and I'm, I'm spinning this into a rant about the Federal Reserve, you know, like that's, that's a much bigger topic than BlackRock itself. And and black, the the news about BlackRock will come and go, but the story about the Federal Reserve is pretty timeless. I mean, central banking moreover is pretty timeless. So, um, but to your, to your more specific point, yeah, you can absolutely get caught up in the day to day and, and because you get sick of talking about the same stuff, there's a tendency to want to talk about the, the you know, current event, the, the latest news, um, just to try. And, and also because it's more popular, because people want to yep. hear yep. your take on the newest thing. So I, I think that really it's just about balancing what you're passionate about. You know, like I'll have episodes where I talk to, oh, and, and I think the other thing that's really beneficial is I talk to a lot of different people. So yeah. that that keeps me from 
falling into some sort of like rote script where I'm just continuing to do the same thing over and over again, because I, I never know what, what direction that this conversation is going to lead. And I try and I really try to play off my guest because I, I want, like, I get sick of my own natural brain patterns. You know, I like to have someone new to talk to, to, to redirect me, to have me thinking in a different way. Um, so I think that that, that helps too. I don't know. I kind of went all over the place on that. No, one. no, I, I, I totally feel it. It's funny. I, I've had, I've seen some of your tweets and some of your episode descriptions where, and like, this is really common. You'll be like, whoa, this might be my favorite conversation yet. This one totally, but and you say that a lot and yeah. you're, I get the sense that you're not, you're not hyping it. Like it feels genuine. It feels like you're like, really intrigued and you're bringing in people that have ideas that you haven't really delved into before and keeping yourself engaged again that like learning out loud letting your curiosity take the lead um you know it's it's surprisingly hard even even though we're all you know the people who are kind of familiar with the libertarian tradition we're very familiar with rand and kind of um rational egoism and things like that it's surprisingly hard to be selfish to maintain as a creator in particular doing things because you want to do them and you love doing them and not start to let yourself be hostage to what the audience likes. And again, not that you're not responsive to the market, but like the best stuff comes when it's stuff you want to do, not you feel obligated to in order to maintain some status or some, you know, um, and that, and people take for granted that that's surprisingly difficult to do. And I'm not talking about just like not selling out in the face of millions of dollars, even in the face of a couple likes, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's hard though. Our brains are wired that way. So you, you've yeah. no, pe- maintained thus far a genuine interest and curiosity in all your guests. I feel like you're doing the episodes because you want to. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I don't think I would keep doing it if I didn't love it. Like that's, yeah. that's where I'm at. And if I, if I get to a point of feeling burnout, I'll stop for a, a, a month, you know, yeah. like that, I'm not, I'm not afraid to do that. I like, if I am not delivering a product that I, first off, I'm proud of, but second off, I enjoy, if I don't enjoy it, I'm not going to do it. I mean, the, the whole reason I was, I became an entrepreneur is because I hated working for other people and I loved working for myself. So same with this, you know, if, if I, if I ever get to a point that I feel like this is a, a nine to five office job that I have to go into and I'm miserable doing it. No, I'm going to go do something else. And and I think that as long as I, I can maintain that, that belief um, or that, that willpower, the product will stay great because that means that I'm actually enjoying it. And as long as I'm enjoying it, I think I'll put out good stuff. Um, so that I, I would really encourage people to, you know, if you get, if you're in a lane that you don't like, I mean, this is why I talk about your company because I hate, I hate seeing people in nine to five dead end jobs, paycheck to paycheck lifestyles where they're miserable and they're just doing it because they have to put food on the table and pay rent. You know, it's, it's, it's a hellish experience. I, I, I don't wish that upon my worst enemy. So I really like, I mean it when I talk about your, your company, I'm like, please go, go find that job of your dreams. Start that business of your dreams. Like this is important stuff. It, it's a funny, I mean, it's funny how this works out. And, and this is like this in relationships, um, you know, whether it's romantic relationships, friendships, whatever. The, the best relationships are based on uh, choice and not need. And like, if you need your audience, like you don't need your audience. You don't need this podcast. That's what makes it good. And that's what makes you able to enjoy them. 
and them enjoy you. If you start to need them, if you need them for emotional fulfillment or whatever, that's when things start to get, you know, personally corrosive, but also it starts to, the content starts to get worse. Everything starts. So like, I think that's just so healthy to, to have the, the exit option and to like psychologically have as few needs as possible. And that, and people think that's like this cold atomistic thing of like, I need no one of it, but it allows for the most true warmth and genuineness. Because when you have those needs, you start to get it, you start to engage in manipulative behavior because you can't live without that person. So you'll do anything mm-hmm. to manipulate them into giving you whatever you need psychologically. Whereas when you don't need them, you just want to enjoy their company. That's where it's more pure, right? And, and there's a genuine it's so weird to say this, but there's a genuine relationship between an audience and a creator. And I don't like to use collectivist terms like the audience as a single entity, but it's hard to disaggregate that. You know, it's obviously all the individuals there, but there really is something there. And it, and just like any relationship, it can get like unhealthy pretty easily, (laughs) you know? So selfishness is key. Yeah, no. And, and this is why I, I also have a self-development bent in my show is that I don't want them to need me either. You know, like I, I want to create people or help them create themselves into a, a a mold that is um, self-reliant and fulfilled and whole. And I, you know, like obviously my show isn't enough to do that. I'm not, I'm not taking that all on my shoulders. That would be crazy and probably narcissistic, but I'm just saying I am trying to give them some bits of advice because people, people want to know, how I got to be who I am. And I'm like, okay, well, meditation plays a huge part in it. And I'm not going to like run away from that because it's, it's outside of the libertarian, you know, general, generally accepted spectrum. It's like, I think that meditation plays a huge role. I think that physical fitness and diet plays a huge role. I feel that you need to be a well-rounded person in pretty much every way for you to be a really, a a valuable tool in the libertarian fight to be a happy contented person like all the way around i just like if if i'm if i'm benefiting from anything i'm going to talk about it and i don't care if like you want me to just talk about current events like i'm going to try and just convey what what has helped me in my path and if it helps you too great and if you want to just fast forward through that part that's also fine you know i don't care um but that's that's why i have all these people on you know i have uh Formerly Vin Armani coming on, uh, you know, tonight with uh, what's his name, Matt Erickson, who kind of went viral with his episode on Free Man Beyond the Wall. Um, he's AKA King Redpilled. These guys are both Orthodox Christians, you know, like I'm not religious, but I absolutely lo- I love talking to people that are. I think it's so interesting. I think they have such a unique perspective. It's so different from mine. Like, I just want to continue to expand myself. So, that's, that's kind of the path that I'm on. Yeah, it's funny. I've noticed uh, some of the conversations I've enjoyed the most of yours are when you're talking with someone like a David Garnoski or a Vin Armani um, and, and they're coming, they have a religious background, which I also do. And you don't because I love you ask them things, be, being a genuinely curious person who's not hostile toward religion, but who's not steeped in it. You ask them such interesting questions and such inter- that teases something out of them that I, that I never could because there's like too much shared background in some right. ways. And I think that's really fun yeah. to, to see you dabble in these areas and draw things out um, that, you know, someone who's really steeped in that area may, maybe wouldn't normally be able to do. Exactly. It's like, it's like having 
uh, two neighboring tribes converse versus someone that's in the same tribe as yourself. Like, like, yeah, I, I'm a neighbor to you guys. Like, we have many of the same beliefs, but I completely lack this religious background. So, like, I'm going to sound a bit like a foreigner, but also I am an ally of yours. So, like, I can ask questions that aren't antagonistic, but they they will pry something out of you. I, at least that's my hope. I never know. You know, I mean, that's the thing is, like, I don't even know if if the response is interesting to someone with a religious background, because I feel like, well, this may be boring. You know, this may be, like, rudimentary. Um, but I think because I come at it from a, a lack of understanding and a, and a sincere one, but also a sincere interest, um, it can it can lead to really interesting pathways. And and I and I genuinely believe that like if you're if you're talking about bringing liberty to the globe, which is what we talk about, the the greatest mechanism for indoctrination historically. I mean, if you want to call it indoctrination, if you want to call it belief, whatever. Uh, has been religion. If we fail to understand religion in this fight, I think it's a huge mistake. Yeah. Uh, so that's the main. That's my main interest in it, just for a selfish one. But then there's also the mystic side and the you know the the eternal questions that we all have as human beings. I think it's just a fascinating uh, arena. It's been incredible to me. I was caught very off guard by this transition into this era in the last few years where everyone is taking religion and myth and sort of things that were sort of mocked all through, certainly through the nineties, maybe starting in the eighties um, as kind of materialism and sort of the new atheist movement was the cool trendy thing. All of a sudden, everybody's taking that stuff seriously. And I think that's so important, like for coming up when I was in my teens and stuff, almost all the libertarians I was around were also very strident atheists and very strident sort of materialists. And the way that they would, the way that they would explain religion was the same silly way that um, it was like as naive as as a lot of people treat the state, right? Like, um, you know, like, or, or the way that, or the way that some people talk about, um, you know, behavior that in the economy that they don't understand. Oh well, it's just you know, it's a, libertarians would criticize people for saying like, oh, people are just greedy and stupid. They say no, they're not greedy and stupid. They're all self-interested, right? But a lot of libertarians would say things like oh, well, they're just, people are just dumb and superstitious. It's just a super, and it's like, okay, an institution this powerful and that's been around this long with all these different variations of any of the major world religions, it's more than just stupidity and superstition. Just like the state doesn't exist purely because of stupidity and superstition. There's a lot of things at play and you got to kind of understand what they are and, and why those come about. And I think it's just so cool to be in an era that, again, totally took me by surprise where like, Everybody wants to understand this more. It's not, it's not immediately put aside as like, oh, we can explain that. People are dumb. Next question. Like, that's never right. the answer. The answer is never people are dumb or people are irrational, right? People can be dumb. Um, irrational, and they can if you certainly define it as, be irrational as an economist defines it. People are never irrational by, by that tight definition. But <laughs> people can be dumb. But like these institutions and things. And I just think that's really, I think that's really um one of the most hopeful things that I see is the genuine curiosity in all in, in so many more areas, science, religion, fundamental philosophical questions, sure. political philosophy that I think was missing for most of the last few decades. That This is exactly why I push back against the libertarians that hold on to that mantra of, oh, they're just afraid of dying. You know, like yeah. <laughs> that's that's what a lot of people think. They're just like, they're just afraid of dying. Oh, they they can't have a moral code without God telling them what to do. It's like, well, you know, 
uh, millions and billions of people historically have have lived with this code and it got us here so like you should understand it at a, at a minimum whether whether you appreciate it or whatever is up to you but if you don't understand it you're not doing yourself or anybody else a, a service here and and i view the state the same way actually uh coincidentally yes. is that if you don't understand human needs desires wants everything you're not going to understand why the state exists or or how to get rid of it and same with if you're a hardcore atheist you should understand religion better than the religious because you're trying to get people to stop believing in what you believe is nonsense. So like, I am, I'm kind of looking at this from um, an anthropological study, you know, where I'm trying to understand both just, just human beings desire for both religion and the state. And obviously I also um, dive into a little bit of the correlations between the two and and how statism is the modern religion or scientism is a product of statism today. And, you know, I think that all of these, if you want to understand any of it, you kind of have to understand all of it. And, and I think that that's, that's why I've, I've explored this arena so much. And I think it's really interesting. So I don't even care. Like if my, this is the thing, you know, people, people wonder if I'm like crafting my show to my audience's desires. I am not. <laughs> like that's that's the truth. I am I, I I assume that my audience will find what I find interesting interesting, you know, and and I hope that that's the case. It seems like it works. Um, and if I start to get into some really weird shit, then maybe they'll tune out. But you know, <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. I thought it was a obligation of all libertarians to get into some really weird shit at some point in their lives right well, i think i, I think <laughs> the, I, I, I we already are into some weird shit so the, the rumor the rumor is that uh leonard reed wrote his famous uh eye pencil when he was like tripping on shrooms or lsd or something and imagining being a pencil so who knows Ma- makes sense to me uh, <laughs> I, I told i told that uh on that episode with carrie wedler and and david granoski that the first time i had a really religious experience is i was on mushrooms in college and I looked at an electrical outlet and I was like, I am the same as what comes out of that, you know? And that, <laughs> that was, that was my druggy mind, but it was, it was so profound and it was yep. so real and it was dealt, it was felt so deeply that I, I've never even lost that feeling. Like I still have a belief or a faith, if you want to put it in that, in that framing, um, that I am made of energy and that I will be eternal in some way. And I, that seems, that's, that's a thought as a kid, I would have laughed at, but now I believe it. So, you know, it is what it is. Get, get weird. So let me, let me ask you a couple like very nuts and boltsy questions. Um, you know, uh, that people maybe who, who haven't podcasted before and everybody does it differently, uh, maybe curious about or don't know how, do, what is your process? How do you choose guests? How do you prep for an episode? Uh, what do you do after you record? You edit it and all that stuff. Just walk me through the process. Uh, for guests, really, I just I just ask people that I'm interested in. That's that's it. You, you just you know? come across them on Twitter or whatever, and you think yeah. that'd be a good interview. Or or I hear them on a show. Like perfect example, I have Matt Erickson on. He was on Free Man Beyond the Wall uh, with Picanones. I thought their conversation was tremendously interesting. I, I also hear him mention his Orthodox Christianity. I know about Vin's Orthodox Christianity. They both have a very similar perspective that the LP is a waste of time. I'm like, boom, I'm going to put these guys together for episode 100. This is going to be amazing. So that's all I'm doing now. Um, early on, I was pretty much just having on people with bigger audiences than, than myself to try and grow. I mean, just to be honest. Um, but also 
then I, then are, I are people coming that, to you trying to trying to pitch you on bringing on certain people? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and I, how, how do you vet them? Do you have like a, like, are you turning people away? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't, there's no way I could have on everybody that wishes to be on it. Like, and, and the other thing I notice is that when I, like, after I have a big guest, if I have someone on that no one's heard of, I lose some of those new listeners. So like, I have to, I have to keep the show, um, not just interesting, but also with someone who people are already interested in. And I, that's kind of a sad thing. You know, I, like, I wish it weren't that way. If I get to a point of steady listenership, that I'm so significant, you know, like kind of Joe Rogan status, like Joe Rogan could have on me and not lose yeah. his audience because they yeah. know someone great is coming on, you know, the next day. Um, but I'm so early in this process. I don't really have that luxury quite yet. Um, so uh, as far as uh, prep for the show, I don't, I don't do much. I, I usually will write down five or six words, you know, or, or key phrases. And, and I just allow, you know, I, Basically, I allow the conversation to develop organically. And if I hit any sticking points, I will look at this this list and say, okay, this is one other thing I wanted to talk about. And then I'll bounce it off of them and then we'll just go from there. But you can have, I mean, I've had I've had entire episodes where I didn't look at my note sheet at all. It's just kind of like you and I talking. It's just very, very natural and organic. And that's all there is to it. Um, and then as far as post-production goes, it takes me like three hours to, to um, put the video together. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm total boomer, so I'm probably doing a terrible job, but <laughs> I, I, I'm figuring it out as I go. Uh, I'm using a stock program that came on my PC. I really need to get like high end production stuff at this point, but Dude, I don't I'm do any moving. editing whatsoever. I literally hit record. I hit stop. I don't cut anything. I don't even, I used to have some guy that would add like music and stuff. I don't do any of that anymore. I'm just like, <laughs> eh, whatever. I'm too lazy. So you're way ahead of me. Well, yeah, well, I, I mean, it's, and it's interesting, like, I don't even know what value it adds, because uh, I think most people are here for the conversation. But for someone who's just tuning in for the first time, I'd like it to come across as, as a somewhat professional um, yeah. experience so that they will be like, okay, there's, he is putting something into this, I will put something into my listenership of it, you know, that kind yep. of mentality. Uh, but the, the truth is, until I move and I get settled in my new studio, wherever that may be, I'm not going to put all the time into like, like, I could have made this place much better than it is. Um, but it's just like, I'm moving. So I, I, I intend, uh, and I'm serious about this. I really think I'm going to create like the, the Tim pool, Joe Rogan experience of the libertarian space. Like that is my goal. That's what I've decided I'm going to pursue. I think there's a void there. I think the first person to do it is dealing in, in blue water as we've talked about many times. Yeah. Um, and, and that's what I'm going to try. And if I, if I end up, you know, running into a, a brick wall, Whatever. At least I, at least I gave it a shot. Well, that, that's a good set. Cause I was going to ask you like, you know, you didn't, it sounds like you didn't start this with a particular goal in mind, but now that you've been doing it and you've been getting some traction, do you have a goal? What's your, like, this would be my dream. This would be big level, next level success for me. What does that look like? Well, that's, that's it right there. I mean, if I could get, if I could get to a point where I could, cause just for a little um, inside baseball, you know, I was reached out to 72 hours before I was in Virginia, in Tim Pool's studio, in the top of his house, you know, in his attic, where his recording studio is at. And they paid for me to fly out there and they paid for my hotel. You know, like that, that is a product of a business that is functioning. You know, yeah. I don't have that yet. So that to me would be the dream is that I have enough revenue that I could fly in 
Dave Smith or Tom Woods or Joe Rogan or Tom Segura. I would like to have kind of the libertarian space for bringing in people that we are all interested in, that we think are interesting thinkers that aren't necessarily libertarians, mm -hmm. just to have the the Joe Rogan, the Tim Pool, be a libertarian uh, bent. You know, I think that that would be really appealing. And then creating the community around that where you could have, because Tim does a live show every night on YouTube for two hours and they get a couple hundred thousand live viewers. And then God knows how many million podcast downloads, um, another couple hundred thousand YouTube views after he's done airing. Uh, it's just a, it's a really powerful tool that he's, he's now created. And if I could get there, boy, I mean, the world would look a whole lot different. If, if there's, if there's market demand for someone who's as radically uh, libertarian as me to do what they've been doing, I think we will have um, real upside potential for this, this community or this country for that matter. Do it, man, do it, build it. I know you can yeah. do that. So the, uh, the business building a business like that, do you foresee that being doable purely with a podcast being able to get enough revenue from the podcast or are you thinking like because i know tim pool i think he's got uh articles and written content on a some kind of a website i don't know if he has an email newsletter that's paid or other products but do you see a larger media empire that's that's got revenue sources in multiple places or are you just looking at the podcast or producing yeah, other I mean, podcasts what's what's your vision there I, I love the business side of this man Right, right. Yeah, me too. I mean, as, as we're both entrepreneurs, we both, this is where we get excited. But uh, yeah, I mean, this, I'm, I'm open to all of that, you know, whatever, whatever revenue streams I can get to kind of build this thing out as incredible as I can possibly make it would be ideal. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm not really interested in getting into the news game per se. Yeah. You know, if, if I stumble into it, if I stumble into, you know, hiring on some of the more prominent libertarian writers, and I create kind of, you know, a, a, uh, a countering force to the, the more beltway libertarian rags, which <laughs> most of us despise. I think that'd be cool. Um, so I'm, I'm open to that. I, I also, I'm open to having a, a podcast network as well. Like, I, I think that there's a need for that. And there's also a void there. Like that. I don't know of any libertarian, like gas digital is what I always fall back on, which is Louis J Gomez's, uh, outfit that he created. And, you know, he's got, part of the problem and Legion of Skanks and all these other shows on there and they kick ass. I mean, they, they do serious business. And, you know, I, again, I don't know if there's enough market demand in our arena to, to get to their level. So we'll find out as I go. Um, but that's, that would be the dream for sure. I, for one, welcome our new libertarian media overlord. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, if you're gonna, if you're gonna have a libertarian media overload overlord, you could do worse than me. I'll tell you that because right. I am, I am the real deal. I believe in this shit and I'm also not really interested in it for money. And I know that's, that sounds crazy, but it's the truth. Like if I could, if I could just make a living and not have to d dip into my savings, but, but really help this movement, that's what I'm most interested in, man. Like I've already done the financial achievements. I think that's what makes me a unique candidate for this role. Whereas a lot know, of man. other people. Being not interested in the money makes it a little harder for me to trust you. Uh, I oh, like profit seekers. Uh, well, no, it's not that I'm not seeking profit. It's just that I, I am okay personally. Like I, I think obviously I, yeah. I understand it has to be profitable if I want it to be as big as I need it to be. Yep. So yep. It, like I will well, be it's very nice driven. because okay, so, so there's this weird thing that happens 
if you're like bootstrapping something like this um, and you're like, you know, living on ramen noodles and, and you, you get beggy, you know, well, everybody please donate, please, please, please. And that's just, it feels losery to me. It feels kind of, and like, I would rather not let anyone know that I'm not making any money off it than beg and sound pathetic. And so it's like, I want people that are seeking to make money and seeking to make profit, but not constantly begging because they're living at a subsistence level, which it's like, exactly. there's somehow you got to close that gap, right? So you either have to start off as you have, where you've built enough wealth in other parts of your life to where you can do it and not make money. And you can do it without making money indefinitely if you wanted to, but you actually want to make it into a profitable business at the same time. And I think that's actually like a really, um, not I don't have any like moral qualms against people asking for donations or whatever, but it's just as a customer and, and as a branding principle, like I, I don't want to come you know, like coming off that way, it just feels weak to me. So you kind of, you kind of capture, you capture the best of both worlds. That That's, that's kind of what I'm saying. It's, it's off-putting. It's off-putting to have someone open a show and interrupt a show and end a show with their hands out. Like, Hey, please, 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 please. And you know, that's just, that's my perspective. And I know a lot of people feel the same way. So I'm going to try not to be that guy uh, because first off, I don't need it. But secondarily, I think that if the product is good enough, people will contribute. I, yeah. I already have, I have people DMing me, asking me if I have a crypto wallet that they can send <laughs> money to, you know, like, can I send you money? Take it, take it. Yeah. yeah you know, it's so, funny with, with, uh, with ads too. I always, this is, I know this is a tangent, but there are certain podcasts that are like, we will never, we will never do ads, blah, blah, blah. But they have like five minutes of begging you to be like a plus member and whatever at the beginning. And I'm like, I would rather hear an ad from a company. It's more interesting to me. And, more, and it signals that you matter enough to where companies want to pay you to talk about their shit. Like, I kind of like ads if they're well done and they're creative. Uh, most mm -hmm. ads aren't, but I like rigorous competition where ads are trying to be interesting and informative. And like, I'd rather have an ad than you telling me we don't have ads and then sitting there talking about you know, how I can donate for 20 minutes. Right. Well, one of, one of my favorite shows is No Agenda. And, and they spend over an hour of their three-hour recording is them thanking all of their donors. I'm not kidding. Over an hour of it. So the, the cool thing is it's, it's two segments. I know the approximate length of each. Um, so I can just fast forward through them. But that's that's intense. I mean, they're like they're like we're not going to have uh, have ads. So you know, now you get to listen to an hour of us thanking our our <laughs> contributors. So uh, I mean, there's a trade off there for sure. Uh, but I mean, in their defense, the reason they they have it modeled that way is because they don't want to have the pressure of ads being pulled if they say controversial yeah, things. Totally. So, well, and, th and that's where you know I think there's some interesting ways you can. I mean, one, people can listen and be like, wait a minute, this guy's tune has changed or he's super soft on whatever this issue is. Maybe it's because of this ad. Fine. You know, people can use their discretion. But two, there's some interesting ways you can be transparent about stuff, too. And like, I think podcasts, for the most part, have done a really great job where where like TV and broadcast news never really has historically of because podcasts are so niche. Like, it's rare to hear a podcast where they're advertising something that the host you can't at least imagine liking and using the product. Right. right? And right. like, it's just, it's pretty rare. Like you're not going to get AstraZeneca sponsoring the Tim pool show or whatever. Right. Like, no. <laughs> you know what I mean? No. That would be, that would be the funniest ad read that's ever happened though. Just for the record. <laughs> well, and that's, what's great too. about being a capitalist. You can be like, 
hey, sure, if you pay me enough, I'll advertise anything. And then I'll spend the rest of the show talking about how I disagree with your company. So, you know, right. it's up to you. <laughs> you're not going to, you're not going to re. You're not going to re-up that ad buy, but uh, it's going to be fucking legendary while I'm talking about it. <laughs> there's there's a guy that I know, Chris Lockhead. He's got a podcast. It used to be called Legends and Losers. Now I think it's called, I can't remember what it's called, uh, um, Follow Your Different. But anyway, he's this crazy, crazy dude, made tons of money in Silicon Valley as a marketing guy. But he's he's got this podcast and he always ends his shows. <laughs> he always ends his shows like calling out specific people at specific companies from like, vendettas he had like 10 15 years ago like he did contract work with some guy at some big fortune 500 company and they never paid him so he'll be like hey this goes out to you know so and so at like into it i don't know if it's into it but it's like a big company and his podcast is sponsored by uh, by like oracle and other big companies and he'll just like (laughs) made up it's hilarious well i'm Um, telling you there there is something to to be said for the freedom that fuck you money gives and and i'm not really there but i'm close enough that i can and I, i just have it like built into me that i'm like fuck you. <laughs> you know that this is this is my outlook. So I think that that's a really it's a really powerful place to be and I love shows that have uh hosts like that because obviously Tim Dillon's that way. Uh he's he's one of my favorites. I just I love people and and that's the space we're in. We are in the space of telling the big boys that we can do it without you. So like I'm never going to kowtow to these motherfuckers. Like just being yeah. totally blunt, you know. Like if I get offered 100 million dollars to be on Spotify but they want to they want to have me you know, be cucked. It's not going to happen. So, well, and we're, we're, cause I would a, hate it. And this is a Vin Armani thing, but we're in a magical age where literally those who are best at casting and capturing spells, memes, uh, they have power, right. And like your ability to meme, uh, is correlation to your influence. So, so here's a, here's an advertising idea. I just got over chatting. <laughs> what, what if you have people or companies pay you to do segments where you shit talk uh, a target of their choice. So I could be like, Hey, I'm going to pay you to do a 30 second rant about how the uh, head of my HOA is a piece of shit or my that's ex-wife a, or whatever. That's a great <laughs> or this idea. Competitor, this competitive company that's trying to sue me or whatever. Uh, believe it or not. I had a listener buy an ad read for me to talk shit to one of his friends on Twitter. And <laughs> I'm dead serious. He sent me, he sent me some money and he's like, he's like, here's the script, but I want you to freestyle it obviously. And, and the, the whole point of it was to dunk on his buddy who I'm also friends with. It was actually Aaron from timeline earth. And, and, and at the end of it, I want you to talk about the philosophers that, that have inspired him. And the, the first letter of each philosopher is going to end up spelling out the N word. And that, that was like, (laughs) That I mean, these are these are these are the these are the insane things that shit posters do online. But for a small uh, for a small fee, you too can buy an ad on Liberty Lockdown where I talk shit to your friends. So yeah, I, I think it'd be nice. The ad model, you know, it's, I can think of like people anonymously like having you shit on somebody so they don't know where it's coming. This reminds me of um, I was I was homeschooled uh, all but one year. My sophomore year of high school, I went to this small Christian school. And, and there was always like one uh, before, I don't remember what it was, like English class. We would always do, okay, we're all going to pray. Anybody have any prayer requests? And this particular religious tradition that this school was in, it was very common for people to, to say that they had an unspoken prayer request. So they'd be like, oh, pray for my grandma. And then I have two unspokens. And so you go around the room and it'd be like, then the, the teacher would start praying and be like, you know, we pray for Isaac's grandma and we pray for Clint's three unspokens. And, <laughs> and it's 
like, so you could do something like that. People are coming and they're like, look, I have this anonymous, like, I'm really pissed at someone. Don't say their name, but just like rip on them in like a veiled way where people, it's like a, it's like a, you know, a prayer hotline for all of your unspokens, Clint. I, I'm telling you, that's the thing. This space is so new. You can, you can find so many different ways to monetize it. And people are always like, well, how do you get, you got to get big sponsors. You got to do this. You got to do that. No, you don't. You could do, you can do a hundred different things. No one's even thought of yet. And I think that's what makes this space so exciting is like, it's true. You can absolutely find a way you can do it all through contributions. You don't even have to thank people. Sometimes if your product is good enough and you have a passionate fan base that has a little bit of money and you're not trying to become, you know, crazy rich from this thing, you could just have them send you donations. I mean, lots of, lots and lots of shows um, exist based off of that little trickle of income, or you can start to have shit posters send you ad reads and you can just scream at people on the internet. I mean, or you can have people talk shit to their, the head of their HOA. I mean, th- there are so many different ways that we could do this. I, I'm, I'm very excited to see what people come up with. You could put a bounty on guests. Like you could go to someone and say, hey, will you come on my show if I can fly you in and pay you five grand? And if they say yes, then you get to go out and say, we're starting a fundraising campaign. Once we hit 20 grand, this guy has agreed to come on the show or whatever, right? Um, yep. there's, there's so much fun you can have. Um, it's, it's great when you don't give a shit too, because if you try these right. things and they don't work, who cares? Exactly. Um, What's been the biggest surprise? Like, what have you been surprised by, you know, oh, being a, being a, a minor celebrity now? Well, de- I mean, definitely the biggest surprise was when someone asked me for my, my uh, you know, a photo with me at a Mises Caucus event. Three people did. And I was like, this is weird. You know, I, I never would have envisioned that for my life at all. You know, I, I never saw people that. don't ask for photos with private money mortgage uh, lenders all the time. No. <laughs> 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 never ever ever uh, no I mean really the the more the bigger picture um, biggest surprise to me has just simply been the the welcoming arms of the people that are already higher up in this arena you know the fact that and and, and the the down-to-earth nature of them all you know the the fact that they all seem very similar to me where they're like I don't understand how I'm here and this is just amazing and I love everybody and this is cool. You know, like, I think that that's probably the thing that I, I um, didn't expect the most. Like I, you kind of expect there to be some ego somewhere in this space and I haven't found it yet. I'm sure there are some, um, but it's just like, I just ask people to come on They're big guests and, and people say yes. And, and you know, the more big guests you have, the bigger guests you can ask and they say yes too. And it's just like, it's just weird. It's just really weird. I, I would have never thought when I was starting out, I mean, the fact that I, I borderline idolized Dave Smith, you know, I, I was such a huge fan and to have him on, I think it was nine months into my show. He was on my show, you know, like never, ever, ever in a million years that I think that was a possibility. And then, you know, the, the really, the, the coolest moments are like, I'll have on Dave Smith the next day. I'll see him on Fox news. Then the next day I'll have on Maj Ture and the next day he's on Fox news. And it's just like, I just keep having, you know, I just, I feel like I am right on the cusp of like being a media entity, you know, where like I could actually, I could see my, like I, and I, I was telling my grandma about this yesterday. Cause she's a big, uh, Tucker Carlson fan. I was like, I could see myself in the next 12 months being on Tucker Carlson just from, just from screaming into a microphone in my, in my garage converted office, you know? <laughs> well, there's, there's no question. And it's, and it's not just, first of all, you are 
a media player. And I'm going to give you some, some evidence for that claim or why I say that in a second, but you know, going, getting on a show like Tucker or something like that, it won't just be because of your, what you're saying in your audience. It will also be because of the relationships that you've formed. And that's how a lot of this stuff works. So, um, Big time. So we, we, it was a, a couple of years into building Praxis and I'm just, you know, scrapping and clawing and all the marketing is basically just me going out to libertarian conferences, telling kids to drop out of college, going to college campuses and telling kids they should drop out of college um, and going on Facebook and whatever. I get this email from uh, Tucker Carlson's show and I never watched Fox News or anything, but I knew who he was from his daily caller days. I had met him before when he used to be I, I, libertarian. I watched your clip. I watched. Oh, did clip. you? Oh, yeah, it yeah. was. It was great. So I get this email asking if I want to come on and talk about practices, whatever. So I go on. Um, it literally breaks our website. It just like blows up with traffic, whatever. Um, <laughs> and I and I'm like, how did this happen? How did they find out about me? Whatever. So I like afterward the show, I get an email from a different producer. That was this kid that I knew from like five years before when I had been running this nonprofit program. And he was one of there was like 80 kids in this program. It was like a summer internship program and I was running it. He was one of the like quiet ones, whatever. And I like made a point to try to like engage him and reach out. He's a really nice kid. And I like, you know, I was just trying to do my job, but I made a good, good connection with him. And that was about that. I don't remember anything about it. I, I hadn't talked to him in five years. I didn't know that he was following me. He's like, Hey, yeah, I just heard Tucker bitching about college. And I was like, Hey, you should follow. Uh, you should see Isaac Morehouse. He's got this praxis thing. He'd be a good guest to have. And it was like the fact that I had formed this relationship with him I didn't know that he worked at Tucker Carlson five years later. I didn't know any of this stuff. Right. But like, I think that's how a lot of that stuff happens. But so, so that's why, you know, all these people you're connecting with, they're connecting with other people and other people. And that's where these, these, you know, opportunities come from. But the second part yep. about why you already are a, a media force to be reckoned with. So, so like I said, I go on Tucker and it was, it blew up our website with traffic, but it, it, it didn't result in, it maybe resulted in a handful of people uh, applying and getting into the program. And then I ended up going back on Tucker. I think I've been on Tucker four or five times in the last, um, you know, over the last several years, but, wow. but that Tucker appearance got, I got invited onto a show on uh, MSNBC uh, on another Fox show, a morning show a couple of times. And what's so funny, I go on MSNBC and it was like a, 20 minute long segment that was mostly about praxis and it had clips of praxis participants at their business and all this stuff. Wow. Never got a single blip on the radar from anywhere. Like you would never, I have never to this day had a single person tell me they saw me on that ever. Tucker like blew up everything. Everybody was texting me, everybody. It didn't necessarily give us a lot of customers, as I said, but CNBC right. and even the Fox morning show, basically hardly anybody, a, a few people, but like MSNBC, that was when I was like, holy shit, I'm pretty sure all of these news companies except for Fox are losing money like perpetually because I don't know how in the hell they can afford. They, they sent a reporter like to some other city to, you know, and I'm always like, I'm not traveling to your city. So they sent me to some remote studio where I used to live in Charleston and they had to pay for this studio per hour. And I'm sitting in this dark room talking, you know, and I can't see Tucker. But anyway, so I was like, holy shit. I go on the Tom Woods podcast for like, 15 minutes. His episodes are pretty short. Super literally short. to this day. The first episode I went on with Tom was like five, six years ago to this day. Praxis gets people who heard about us from that episode on the Tom Woods show. It's like the gift that keeps on giving. And it's, 
people who actually come and apply to the program because they're it's the right market, right? And so when I look, I would That's say incredible. Tom Woods and Tucker Carlson in terms of relevance to my business are probably equal. Probably Tom generated more actual customers, but Tucker has such a veneer of respectability that people took Praxis more serious after, because he's so big. But MSNBC, uh, CNBC, Fox Morning Show, can't remember where else I went on, some other shows, none of them. Even some podcasts that were like top 30 in all of Apple's podcasts that I've been on, nothing. Tom Woods did way, way better. And That's like, and, and what, what people tell you who are the important names in media, it, it's kind of like with like when Trump won and everyone was surprised. Like, I think a lot of that stuff's bullshit. Like, oh, you know, oh, you got on this big mainstream show. Nobody watches that shit anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so like your niche, the fact that every libertarian just about has now heard of you, that makes you a more powerful force for the world because libertarians are disproportionately engaged compared to the average person and intellectual and whatever, then somebody who puts out a show that millions of people have on in, in the airport, like CNN, and nobody actually watches. So like, you're already there, in my opinion. That's fascinating. Well, I, I think you could be right. I mean, I, definitely the Tim Pool experience was like, this is big. You know, it, it, it felt big in the moment, but it didn't feel that big. I, didn't, I definitely didn't feel like I was talking to millions of people. Um, but in, you know, after the fact that all of the feedback that you get, and it's just like, whoa, this is a, this is a really big deal. Um, so, and, and I, same with going on part of the problem. I, I'm yet to go on Tom Woods. I, I pestered him with a, uh, you know, an at yesterday saying, Hey, if you need someone to explain the black rock and the real estate bubble and, you know, connections to the fed, like I'm your guy, this is what I did for the Tim pool show. Like I could definitely do it for you as well. He hasn't responded yet. We'll see if that happens, but I totally agree with you. Like there are, there are avenues that don't seem that big, but they are so much more meaningful. And, and this is why to me, you know, Tom Woods, Dave Smith, Tucker Carlson, there's a handful of people that like really um, move the needle when it comes to our space. And that's, that's really all you're trying to reach is our space. Once yeah. you get, once you get big enough in our space, you might start to get orbiters that also become interested. But I, I think people make a huge mistake trying to, trying to go global right away. It's like, dude, you, no, <laughs> like you need to, you need to build for years and years and years, probably uh, before you end up having people that are not already in your camp tuning in and you can convert some people. But like, if that's your passion to do that, just keep, keep moving the ball down the field and eventually you'll start to get some of those people too. So um, as we, as we sort of bring it around, I'm curious, uh, are you like, I only, I only nominally follow a lot of this stuff. I see all these people posting like memes and mocking other people. There, there's all these like internecine warfare going on among, I don't know if it's a libertarian party or whatever. Have you found yourself like in the middle of a bunch of blood feuds and are you getting like called names or have you been able to kind of maintain a sort of neutral position as like the guy who interviews everybody? Uh, no, I am definitely not neutral. I am... <laughs> Why am I not uh, surprised? Yeah, I go, uh, there's this show called uh, Tower Gang Power Hour. And I'm friends with these guys. We're all in the same DM chat. Um, and they got into this huge spat over this kid who's 16 or 17 years old. Um, so I, I don't even need, I'm not going to give you the whole backstory. But long story short, 
after their their clip kind of went viral in the community because they were talking shit to this kid and then everyone was accusing them of being abusive towards a minor and the very next episode they can't get anybody to come on basically and and i'm like i'll come on <laughs> and i and i get on there and i'm like i this kid is not our enemy he is a child but if you want to say that Liberty Lockdown stands with the bigots, clip this and, and put that out there. Liberty Lockdown stands with the bigots because they were called, they were accusing them of being bigots. I am not afraid to be uh, demonized. And, and I think that there's a huge mistake with cancel culture to fear it. I think that the, the best thing you can do is put your chest out and say it harder and louder and, and mean it. And, you know, like, I'm not going to back down. I'm not like, I don't need any of this. And I will, I will absolutely stand on my merit of my show and my belief system that I am not a bad person. And if you want to accuse me of that, so be it. Tom Woods is a saint. He is dragged through the mud constantly. I mean, yeah. he, he is he is accused of being a white supremacist and all sorts of insane shit. So if I'm going to be afraid, especially with my shaved head, Jesus Christ, I, if I'm going to be afraid of being accused <laughs> of being like some KKK person, it's going to happen. So like whatever, whatever they're going to say about me, they're going to say, I'm just going to keep keep pushing ahead and and not be concerned about it. And I just wanted to make one other note, note about how you were talking about the network being what will get me onto Tucker Carlson or whatever else. It's so true, man. It, it's like the the weirdest thing. And and it's funny because my my brazen, very aggressive attitude and and kind of fuck you mentality is so beneficial in this space because um, the redheaded libertarian, her name's Josie. She she had all this beef with these people, and and the yeah. The what, main... What's the beef? So I've seen her on Twitter, and I saw you like people got mad that you had her on your show. Can right. you give me a quick reason why people why other libertarians are mad about her? It, well, there's a, there's a handful of different reasons, but the I think the more genuine, severe one was that she said something to the effect of like, uh, "Land taken via conquest is just," and they were like, "Well, that's a total neocon stance." Like this is this is not libertarian, and I was like, okay, those people, I understand their critique of her, but then she got into this flame war with people where people were like bringing up her kids' illness and her, and you know they were like threatening to dox her, and it got way out of hand. So she did this thing called a blockchain, where she uh, not a blockchain like you know blockchain technology, but she did a blockchain where she blocked anybody that was affiliated with like three accounts. So like two thousand people got blocked. Um, so. All of these people that got blocked unnecessarily now hate her guts, blah, blah, blah. Long story short, <laughs> it's it's ridiculous and it's stupid. Uh, but I got I got some by the way, some people would say this is evidence of see, look at libertarians can't even all get along and they want, you know, and I'm like, you know, and they, they think there shouldn't be any government. I'm like, no, this is evidence why none of these people should have the power to control any of these other people. <laughs> that that's the actual lesson to take away. Absolutely right. Um, so I get all this pushback from having her on my show and I didn't even know much of the backstory. I was just like, she's a, she's a well-known figure in this space. She had just been on Tim pool a week prior and I emailed her or I uh, DM'd her asking if she wanted to come on. She said, yes. I was like, cool, let's do it. I had no idea where the conversation was going to go. I just wanted to talk to her and get to know her. Um, and then I get all of this hate from all these people that despise her, but they loved me. So I put out this post this thread actually, where I just scream at my audience saying, I'm, I don't give a fuck what your beef is with her. I don't care about, I don't care about your, your emotions in this topic. I don't care about any of your, of your inter, you know, 
your, your squabbles. I was like, I basically, I just like lay into them in the most vicious way possible. And I'm talking to my audience here. So this, this shit goes viral, which is like, it had over a thousand likes, which is crazy for me just talking shit to my audience. Um, but then because I did that, Josie thought so highly of me that I think she put in a good word with Tim Pool's producer. And I think that's why I ended up on Tim Pool. And then obviously my relationship with Dave Smith has opened up a ton of doors, which, you know, I didn't expect to happen. And I think that that's these, and really the reason I, I became friends with Dave Smith is because I was friends with Pete Quinones. And like, all of this is just it. But I think the most important thing to keep in mind is like, it's not concocted. I'm not doing it. And I think that these people would sense it if I were, you know, if, if I was just like using them to get ahead, then they'd be and, like, and, and you can't, and you can't because none of this happens unless you're just grinding and putting out product over and over again, because the way this shit goes, and I, I had a major faux pas myself recently. I'm, a, I'm, I can't believe I did this. I was such a hypocrite. I'm vehemently opposed to people doing um, blind, like surprise attack email intros. Like if I were to just email you and CC some other guy and be like, Clint, meet so-and-so. You got to have oh, him on yeah. your podcast. Like that's totally not fair, right? You got to do the double blind where I ask you, would you be comfortable with this? And I ask him, whatever. <laughs> totally. And if both parties agree, I, I, but I like pulled one totally had a brain fart and i did this to michael malice of all people who's merciless uh i did i was like hey you should talk to this guy and he responded he's like he's like don't don't do a blind i'm like dude i'm sorry i totally anyway but the way the, my only point bringing that up is the way this stuff works even if your buddies with somebody like if you came to me and you had never put out a podcast before and you're like hey man uh i'm really smart and i can talk about uh the home mortgage lending because i have this background in mortgage i heard you were on tom woods can you introduce me to him or give me an email address? I would say no, because I have no mm -hmm. proof of work, right? right? I would be like, I don't know. You tell me this shit. Even if I was your buddy, I'd be like, I'm not going to burn my own social capital to put you in front of Tom Woods, because now anytime I need to ask Tom Woods for a favor or something in the future, he's going to discount it if I'm throwing some schlub there. And I don't know if you're a schlub, but there's no proof. He can't go Google you and see, oh, this guy's legit. He's got a hundred episodes with some legit guests, right? And so like, you're getting this, because yes, it's your network, but the only reason your network is willing to stick out their neck for you is because you've got proof. You've been hustling yep. and grinding consistently over and over again. That's what I love about it. Yep. No, that's so true. And, and I think that it also comes down to, um, I mean, the product matters. Like if your product sucks, no one's going to vouch for you. So like, mm -hmm. that's important too. And, and obviously there is some uh, appeal to my rants and things like that, that people, people really enjoy it. So I think that these people are, they believe in me. I mean, that, that's really the truth is like, it's not that they're just friends with me. They also now believe in me and they're willing to say, Hey, Michael Malice, I think you should have Clint on. Like, I think that that would be a really interesting conversation. If, if they didn't think that they wouldn't say it. You're absolutely right. Like I, I have people and I get this con, I mean, I get it multiple times per week. I have people DMing me saying, Hey, I'm, I know X, Y, Z about this and I'm a great speaker and I would be great on your show. Can I come on? And I'm like, sometimes it's from people that don't even fucking follow me. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, like, it's like, you didn't even have the honor to hit follow before you sent this DM begging <laughs> request to come on. Like unbelievable, the gall of you. Um, so yeah, I think that it's, it's, it's gotta be built up in all, in all of the ways. Like you have to, you have to have proven yourself so much so that other people that have also proven themselves now believe in you so that they can put you on, uh, you know, the path to be being with other people that have proven themselves. And it's just like, it's, you know, I, I love that you said the way that you dealt with your own audience publicly is probably part of what got you on Tim pool. Cause like, 
it, it is funny. Like we were talking about earlier, your audience, uh, God bless them. Uh, but they will try to own you sometimes, right? Like you, everybody sees the tweets and these are, these are just like the most insufferable tweets ever. The I'm disappointed tweets, <laughs> you know, Clint, I really have loved your show. You've been really great for me, which is exactly why I was so disappointed to see that you did X, Y. It's like, exactly. you think I give a flying fuck that you're disappointed in who I had on my, stop trying to, don't engage in relationships with people based on manipulation. Get that shit out of here. You don't have to like the guest. You can even say, thing I didn't like about this guest was blah, 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 right? Whatever. Clint, I used to respect you. Right, now right. I'm disappointed. Why do we need to know that? You're trying to manipulate your little <laughs> sniveling worm. Get out of here. Uh, I literally, and, and I had probably 150 people message me saying somewhere along the lines of that, anyone that came up with a genuine critique where they were like, she, she believes in this and you know, you didn't call her on that. I wish you had. That's a fine critique. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't mind that at all. Cause it's kind of like telling that, you how to make a better show. You know, right. Okay. Right. Or I'll listen, may not agree. Or, or they think that it's a really important piece that I missed. Yeah. That that's a fine critique for the people that said you shouldn't be platforming her block immediate block. Like, what are we even talking about here? Platforming? Like, I, like I'm big enough to be called a platform. One, you're crazy. Two, um, we are interested in exposing bad ideas here. So if you, if you think that I'm going to not platform anybody, you're out of your mind. Like I'll have Alex Jones, Milo Yiannopoulos, anybody that you think is the worst person I could talk to. Those are the people I most desperately want to talk to. So we're, I was like, I'm going to kill. Like a, sounds like a WWE wrestling move. Like I'm going to platform the shit out of you. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> hit you with a board or something. Yeah. So, so that was, that was my outlook was like, I'm going to nix these people from my audience right now. Because I don't, I don't even want people that, that have this mentality of platforming. Like that's such a, like a woke uh, cancel culture outlook anyways. I'm like, why are you, how are you listening to my show? I am the most anti-cancel culture person you could probably ever meet. Like, how have you listened to my show for the past six months and hated this? And I think the truth is many of the people that were doing it probably tuned in for the first time because I had her on and they were like, I hate this chick and I can't believe you had him on. I'm going to email at him, you know, saying how terrible he is. And I was like, well, you checked out this one episode. Goodbye. Never again. <laughs> Wait, once you have uh, parody accounts, that's when you'll know you've really made it. I don't know. Maybe you have parody accounts already. I do, I do have one. It's, uh, it's instead of Liberty Lockdown, it's fascist freedom. It's like that's the inverse. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you've made it, pretty, dude. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I know the guy who made it. So I don't know if, I, if I've made it, made it. But yeah, we're, we're, we're getting there. So, okay. If... <clears throat> You know, every, everybody has the, uh, the temptation of, you know, um, selling out for lack of a better term, you know, you know, sort of betraying what you really want to be or who you are for some whatever, some deal with the devil, some offer of riches or fame or whatever. What would be, what would be your temptation? What would selling out look like if you were to sell? Just give me a hypothetical. If oh, you God. were to sell out, what would that look like? And what would the offer be? I think selling out to me would be, like getting an offer to have my own nightly show on Fox news or something like that would be probably the biggest temptation to me, not for the money, but just for the platform, just to have yeah. that, that, that caliber of audience would be pretty tempting. Um, I don't think, I don't think I could be bought honestly. Like I, 
I, I have enough money that I'm very, very comfortable in my life. I, I'm not, I'm not the type of person that wants, you know, Lamborghinis and private jets. Like that's not, that's not really in my. So, so it would be something like, uh, Hey, you get a, you get a recurring segment on Tucker Carlson, uh, you know, twice a week, you get your five minute rant and you don't even have to rant about anything that you don't believe in as long as the only people you talk negative about are Democrats. That right. might be like your version of selling. Cause I right, Cause like you could justify it. Well, I'm not disagreeing with any of my beliefs. I'm just, you know, appealing to who this audience is, but it gives me a bigger platform or whatever, something, something along those lines. Yeah. I think, I think that would probably be the, the most temptation that I could probably fall for because I mean, the truth is you do that when you go on any platform, Always. like you're, you're, you're going to talk right. like, to the, like when Tucker Carlson audience. brought me on and I get two minutes on there to talk about, you know, a college alternative. I'm not going to also say, well, I don't think, I think the state should be abolished. Right. <laughs> and like, like, does that mean I sold out? Cause I'm just, I'm just feeding, you know, and I even said something like, you know, what's great about America, Tucker. And I, I appeal to the idea of America having, you know, some great things in its culture. Cause I know that will appeal to their audience. And I don't say anything I disagree with, but like, am I selling out by being selective? You always do that. You always do that, but it's, but well, it's, you, it's dicey sometimes, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, it could get to a point like, I think that as long as you don't ever say anything you genuinely don't believe, like that's, that's where yeah. you get, that's what, that's the definition of selling out. It's like, okay, now you're like, if, if they were like, well, you can come on to talk about X, Y, Z, but we're going to, we're going to have to have you couch it in a, a frame of pro Israel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, like, yeah. like, like some, some sort of like really bizarre uh, ask of me. And if I were to say yes to that, just because to, I wanted to get on there, I don't think I could do it, but, but my, I would probably say yes, just to get on. And then I would not do what they asked of me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest. Like, yeah. I mean, I honestly think a more dangerous type of selling out than, I mean, obviously saying things you disagree with, um, you know, is like, it means you've, you've gone to a, a certain place that's dangerous, but there's another kind of selling out that is, that is more subtle and harder to identify from the outside. And that is continuing to do something even if everybody else praises you for it, but that, you know, makes you feel dead inside. And maybe yes. you don't even know why, right? Like maybe like, so when I used to work at a libertarian nonprofit, I loved it for a, a good long while. And then it started to slowly, I started to feel like I wasn't fully alive anymore. And, and like, there was no rational reason. Everybody else would say, this is an enviable job, but I knew that I needed to get out of there. I needed a change and selling out can sometimes be in a way that nobody else even notices. But if you keep doing something, even though it's no longer making you come alive and that's, that's the hardest kind because it requires a lot of self-honesty. Well, I think, I think that that would be, you know, a potential with this show. If it were to get to a point of cash flow that I was like, well, now I'm, you know, I'm making good money and I'm relying on this and like, but I've lost the fire, you know, I've lost yeah. the passion and I'm, I'm becoming more of a performer. I'm like Alex Jones. I'm like, t I'm taking seven energy drinks before I go <laughs> on to record just so I can really flip out every, every episode. You know, if I get to that point, that'll be selling out. And I don't think it'll happen honestly, because uh, like I have been passionate in this way, basically my entire life. So like, I, I can't, I can't imagine it happening. That's not to say it won't like, I, yeah. I I'm sure I could get burnt out, but I don't think I'll ever lose my passion for these ideas. Like this is, it's really deeply ingrained in me. So, uh, that's good. You know, I think yeah. that that gives me hope that I won't end up, end up in that spot. Yeah. And it's funny. I never want to judge. Cause like, I'm not, I'm not saying that someone cannot be living true to themselves while doing this, but I'll never forget when I was 
I don't know, probably 22, 23, I was running this uh, Students for a Free Economy, this program um, in the state of Michigan, all across college campuses, bringing in speakers to the college clubs and stuff to talk about, you know, libertarian ideas, basically. And this was mostly before Ron Paul. Um, and so like nobody, and then as soon as Ron Paul ran the first time, my job got so much easier because everybody like <laughs> got high college campuses, uh, people who didn't live through that and see it on the ground on college campuses have no idea how insane it was that Ron Paul became such a hero. But anyway, I'll never forget. I bring in John Stossel and, and there's nothing at all against John Stossel. But I bring him in to speak and I had seen him speak at a couple of conferences. I bring him to speak at multiple campuses and uh, it was it was quite expensive. It was a giant pain in the butt. It was kind of a diva-ish environment, which in this age of podcasting, like you said, it's so different now. It's so different because mm-hmm. people don't have a stranglehold on communication. People are much, much more humble and accessible. But <clears throat> he comes in and, and we had prearranged to have the talks be on at like three different campuses on like uh, three different topics. They were somewhat similar, but one is specifically was about socialized medicine. And it was like, I always came up with these provocative times, a university of Michigan called socialized medicine sucks. And this was in like 2007 or something where this was like a big topic. It was very radical for a campus like U of M to just say like socialized medicine sucks. And like John Stossel is going to speak and he shows up and he gives the exact same talk he gives everywhere else, which was not at all about socialized medicine. And he like threw in something and his talks, they were all good, but they were literally identical every single time. And I just remember being like, I don't know if he's happy doing that. I don't want to criticize. There were good talks. Fine. He was a big name. It was, he had some respect in the news media. It was, it was useful. But I remember being like, wow, I don't ever want to go give the same talk more than a couple times in a row. Like that seems, that seems like a bad place that I don't want to be in. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> no, that, that is, that is a, uh, a more hidden way of selling out, I think is, and it's also like, for me, I, because I, I, these things are so deeply ingrained in me, like I'm not, I'm not bullshitting about any of this stuff. Like this is, this is actually how I think this is actually who I am. So I shouldn't have to go out there and do some memorized speech like that. That's really my belief. Like same with my episodes. None of, none of what I'm doing is prepped. Like oftentimes I won't even think about like really where I'm going to go with stuff because I just know I have thought about these things enough that I, once I'm on the mic, I'm going to be able to take it in a whole bunch of interesting, creative directions. And, um, you know, I think the only thing that I lack is that I could probably come up with better metaphors that I could throw in there if I was to, <laughs> you know, plan stuff in, in advance. But um, yeah, it's bizarre to me when people are going around giving the same speech, especially if it's not even like contextualized. It's like, it's not even like actually about <laughs> how socialized medicine sucks. And you're just like, giving I'm not trying to that's... call you out, John Stossel. You still did, uh, <laughs> you still had some good results there. Uh, for sure. Maybe maybe you're cool with that. I just I for myself, I I, I, I need to stay entertained. It would be soul sucking to me, man. I, I yeah, I, me too. And I mean, and honestly, I'm again, I'm not trying to paint that as entirely a virtue. Like I will say, my own desire for novelty and to stay curious and entertained um, has been self destruct has been destructive to my companies in the past. Where like I get bored with a business model that's working and I want to fuck it up and try something <laughs> new. Like. I'm my own worst enemy sometimes. So I'm not trying to say this is moral. People who can go out there and repeat the same basic message over and over again, there's a value to that. It's just, that would be one version of me selling out because it isn't who I am. And if I, I totally just did get that because the money was good, that would be. Um, yeah, it doesn't, it wouldn't appeal to me either, but I, I agree with you. There are people that aren't built like us that it would be totally fine. They're like, I go out, I give this $10,000 speech that I do once a month. It's amazing, you know? Yep, yep. Um, Clint, for the next 
hundred episodes. Where do you, okay. Project yourself out. Episode 200 rolls around. What's going to be different from today. I mean, that's on your current pace. That's oh a year. God. If your pace slows down, it's a couple of years. If it speeds up, it's less. What do you expect to be different between episode 200 and episode 100? Honestly, from, two, from two, episode two, two, two branches of that, what's going to be different for you and your life and what's going to be different in the world. Oh God, that's huge. Uh, well, first off, I, I, I have to acknowledge that from episode one to episode 100, I would have never imagined any of this, really. So it's very hard for me to imagine what could happen between episode 100 and 200. Um, I mean, obviously, the biggest, the biggest change, first and foremost, will be that I won't be in California. Um, so that, that's going to be very dramatic. I'm born and raised here. Yeah, uh, we'll yeah, see. I mean, it's I, exciting, but it's also tragic because there is not a more beautiful piece of land in this country. Exactly. Than, yeah. Exactly. So that that's nerve wracking. Um, I think that, you know, it could be the greatest decision I've ever made or or one that kind of gives me angst forever. I have no idea. So I'm 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 excited to find out. We'll see. Um, but uh, as far as the show, I mean, I think it could be a really big deal at that point, potentially, you know, like I, I could I could potentially have. Tom Woods and Malice and these other people invite me on at some point over the next year, which would really level me up, so to speak. And for me, the the most outrageous, outlandish dream that I could ever have as Joe Rogan br brought me into podcasting would be to get that call. For him to say, we need Clint Russell from Liberty Lockdown on the Joe Rogan experience would be like, okay, if that, if that happens over the next year, I will have far exceeded my greatest dream in my life. Like that would be so, so unbelievable. So, but the, the really weird thing is, is that after getting invited on Tim Pool, I don't feel like it's an impossibility. No. And th that is weird. That is a really weird feeling. Um, so I think that that's a possibility. I think that by episode 200, I could be having on guests that I wouldn't have dreamed of. Um, and I think that the, the, my, my hope is that I will have created an in-person, incredible live studio space a la Tim, uh, Tim Pool or any of these guys, Rogan, obviously, um, where I could have, I could hopefully have enough revenue from the show where I can fly in really, really big name people um, and, and talk to them in person for, you know, do the deep dives and take it into really interesting places. So that, that's my hope. Uh, as far as the world goes, whoa, uh, the world could be very different, man. I like, I think that there's a decent chance that first off, I don't think Biden will be the president here. So, uh, that'll be interesting to see. I think that the, the crackdowns against, uh, you know, political dissidents are going to increase. And I think that there's a chance that, you know, even people in the podcast space start to get taken out um i mean obviously people in the podcast space already have but i'm saying lower level players i think that they could really start to try and you know take it down from deplatforming the alex joneses of the world and start to go after um even the smaller players so that's nerve-wracking um i i hope that we don't end up in any sort of uh new wars either civil or abroad but i wouldn't be surprised at all i think that given the economic uh, instability that we exist under. I think that there's a very high probability that the American government will use uh, some sort of conflict to to try and uh, paper over these holes that they blew in the economy via lockdowns, which should have never happened. So 
that makes me very nervous. I don't know. I could go on forever. <laughs> uh, final question for you. When you move and whether it's Texas, Florida, whatever, um, are you going to buy a house or are you going to rent? Dude, it's a hard decision. Um, <laughs> I, I think, I think if I end up in Florida, I'll probably buy because the, uh, the prices there are still pretty affordable actually, because they overbuilt so severely in 0506. Um, so I'll probably buy there. If I'm in Texas, I don't know, man. It, the prices there I've heard are just outrageous. So we'll see. It, it, honestly, it depends a lot on on which which state speaks to me while I'm there. So yeah. we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I know we talked about that last time, but it's it's very hard to read this this market. Uh, oh. it's, everything's, everything's insane. It is. Uh, I mean, I hope to, to have you out there deciphering it for us on, on Tucker Carlson, on Joe Rogan, on Tom. Oh my I, God. I want, I want to be seeing you everywhere. That would be, that would be incredible. And uh, same to you, man. I, I really, I really enjoy your perspective on things. And I think that, you know, whether or not you're, you're taking your, your show as seriously as I am. Um, I think that you could do something great with it too. So I hope you do. Yeah, man. I, uh, I pretty much, I don't even really have a show. Uh, I did for a couple of years now, like randomly once a month or two, I'll just decide, I feel like interviewing somebody and that's about it. So um, I'm not really trying to do anything with it, except I do have some fun from time to time. So well, Clint, man, I, I think you're great at it. So just so you know, well, I appreciate it. Look, here is cheers to you. Episode 100 in the books. I hope you take a minute to celebrate and I uh, ho hope you enjoy this time to reflect on everything you've accomplished so far, man. Keep it up. Absolutely. Brother. Appreciate you. Later.